Please as go ahead move, and pray for our speaker. As we move on in our service, it's time for us to hear the word, to hear what God will have us hear today. So as we go into the word, I'd just like to pray for our speaker, Dr. Fee Craig. Father, we come before you this morning. God, we give you thanks for this opportunity, for this privilege, Father, to be in your house, Father, with our brothers and sisters, with like-minded people. Father, we thank you for Craig. We thank you for his time, oh God. We thank you that he's, he's decided to come, Father, and to share with us that which you have poured into him. So God, as you have poured into him, God, I, I give you thanks. And Father, I pray that as he pours into us, God, that he, Father, that he will speak boldly, that there will be no distractions, Father, there be no worry, there be no concerns about anything, God, that he will speak as you give utterance, God. We thank you, Father, that he has taken the time to sit at your feet, O oh God, and to listen, Father, and, to, and to, to get this word for us. God, as he ministers to us, Father, as he pours out onto us, God, I pray, Lord, that you will fill him afresh. I pray, mighty God, that you, Father God, that you, oh God, will be concerned about everything that concerns him, Father. And Father, that he will be free, oh God, to minister to us. God, I pray that as he ministers, Lord, that we will have listening ears, Father. And Father, our hearts will be fertile, soil, Father, that as, as your word comes to us through him, God, that we will be moved, Father, to act, that we'll be moved to change, that we'll be moved to We'll be moved to grow, God. Father, we pray for his ministry, his life and his ministry, God. We ask, God, that you will continue, oh God, to enlarge his territory, Father, that you will continue to empower him, Father, God, that you, he will continue to be an agent of change, God, in whatever he does and wherever wherever you put him, oh God. Father, we bless him and we bless you. We bless you for the opportunity of having him with us, God. And we ask, God, that you will get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise today and forever, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that prayer. Um, so um, last week we talked about the, the God who pursues. And um, um, I think it's just, it was important for me to be able to share with you that the idea of, of the pursuit of God began from the very beginning, uh, that it is in the very nature and character of God himself. But of course, we also know that the, the, the culmination of that expression was Jesus, uh, that his coming um, was, was that, that tangible, visible expression of God's pursuit for us. Um, that he would come, that he would come in, in human form, that he would dwell, make his dwelling with us. <sighs> That's good stuff. And, uh, um, but, uh, but today we're going to, we're going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to look at what I'm going to, I want to, I want to preface everything with, with this idea. Um, that is the idea of posture. Um, Sorry, I had a fan going. Probably was a little bit loud. Um, posture for me is is that is the visible 
uh, tangible uh, representation of what's going on inside. Um, if um, if I am feeling defensive, you know, they talk about putting your hands up, you know, posture, that kind of uh, uh, that, that evidence that there's something inside you that's 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 responding negatively to a statement. But there's also posture um, um, of of openness, embrace. There's, uh, uh, but it, again, what it what it just simply does is it represents what's going on inside. And uh, in the church today, um, just in the different reading that I've done, there's, there's two ways that they, they say the church has postured itself. The first is a passive posture. They call that uh, attractional, uh, extractional. Uh, and the idea is that you're waiting. You're sitting back. You create programs. You create uh, services. You create um, things that... Um, that you're hoping people will be attracted to and coming to, uh, and it is, and it's, it also defined not as just attractional, but it's extractional, in the sense that you are pulling people out of their previous context and then moving them into a new context, that being the context of the church, and um, and that is, like I said, that's that's a bit of a passive posture. It's one that is that is more about waiting, more about hoping, and more about creating an environment um, that is open for people to come into. And there's nothing necessarily wrong about that. However, I think that the posture of the church that is, that historically, uh, especially in the early church, was one that was not passive, it was very active. And in it, it's described as incarnational, missional incarnational. It's a church that's on a mission, and it is incarnational in the sense that it is, it is making its dwelling amongst people. Um, uh, the, uh, the 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 best posture I, I think for me is comes when I see this. I, I I think of the story of the the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, the posture of the father is, is not passive. He's, he's, yes, he's waiting and he's looking, but when he sees his son, he runs to him. He doesn't wait for the son to get to him. He doesn't wait for the son to speak. He, he moves, he runs. And uh, this is the kind of posture I think is, is, at the root of the whole missional movement. It's one that's seeking to, to make its inroads into communities. And so part of that is that idea, we talked in the past, last week about the idea of God's pursuit, that he's coming. But, but there's a point where that didn't just end with Christ. As at at the end of Christ's uh, life here on earth, in, in, in John, it records Jesus saying, hey, I've been sent, and so I'm sending you. And he invites us into that whole process. Now we become the ones who pursue. But it starts with a God who sends. And I'm going to uh, do a PowerPoint. Uh, and so I'm going to I'm going to share the screen and I'm going to 
bring you guys into this. Um, if you, a lot of times I get complaints because when I do PowerPoints, they're like, then your picture becomes very small. But if you're familiar with uh, when this, when the share goes up, there's a viewing options. If you click on that and down at the bottom, it allows you to to do a side by side, and then you can you can make the slide show a little bit smaller, and you can still see people. And I think that works really well. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. But uh, here we go. Today we're talking about the God who sins. And uh, and and I think. Uh, I originally thought we were going to start, uh, wait a second, pause, step back a second. What I'd like to do is I'd like for you to take a, a moment to, to, of meditation. I have a quote here from Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm going to give you a minute to read that quote and look at those two questions. And so, so take some time to reflect on the statement and reflect on those questions and think about the answers that you would give. So would anybody uh, be willing and brave enough to share how the Holy Spirit uh, spoke to you as you were meditating on this? I will, I will go first. I'll go first, Greg. Um, one of the things that I was I was convicted about as I read it is the fact that sometimes I'm more concerned with my own reputation and what people think of me as opposed to what they see of God in me. So that is that that that's that's an area that I am being challenged in. Anybody else? I do want to say that the question is, do we always realize that we represent God? I think we do fall short. Um, we, we are imperfect. 
human beings and we do fall short of the glory and of God. And we sometimes, unfortunately, we don't, it becomes, we increase and God decrease. It's all, all about us, our feelings, our desires, our wants, and not so much, you know, and we are, we, we have certain emotions that, that are not of God. And it manifests itself in how we interact with people sometimes, and it's not necessarily how God wants us to love everyone. And we unfortunately, sometimes we lose sight of that. And we get our feelings hurt and our tendency is to just react and not necessarily in a Christ-like way. Thank you, Laverne. So um, we're gonna start uh, today by looking at um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Uh, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that, that kind of puts a heavy on me. Like, like, whoa, God. Like that last statement, as though God were making his appeal through us. The image of God is... is is uniquely tied to us. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in the last week that we're together, because I think that there's something that really needs to be grasped in that. But the point today that we really want to identify with is this, is this, this commission. We talk about the Great Commission coming from Matthew, but 2 Corinthians, and in 2 Corinthians, Paul makes it very clear that we have been commissioned that we have a ministry, and it is a ministry of reconciliation. And according to Paul, uh, we are what he says ambassadors. And uh, I'm not sure if, how much you think of that word or how often that word comes to mind, but the, the meditation before was to try to put you in that mindset. Like, what does it mean for us to be an ambassador? Um, I think it's just, I think there are three things that, that are important when it comes to being an ambassador. One is representation. That we understand that we are a that we are an expression, so to speak, of the larger source or the greater source. As ambassadors, they usually are very carefully chosen. I'm just gonna say that. I don't know if the last president was very good at that or understood that idea, uh, but there's somebody that are chosen who will, who will 
you're looking for somebody that is going to be uh, a, a, a model or, you know, like somebody that really, really identifies with the core values that you think your country or your kingdom is, uh, is hoping to um, convey. And, uh, and the, the second idea is that it's, you understand that, that as you're sent, you are on a mission. As an ambassador, you're carrying the words of the president. You're carrying the words of the kingdom. You're carrying the words of the nation to another country. So you're on a mission. And then finally, although it's not in there, the thing that, that I think is so important to understand is that we are broken vessels that we are not perfect representations, but we are representations. So I'm gonna talk about those three different ideas. Uh, but first, uh, let's look at the, the idea of representation. And in the beginning I said, well, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is, is an official envoy, especially a high ranking diplomat who serves as the resident representative of their own government or sovereign an authorized messenger or representative. representative. Um, uh, I like that word authorized because it, it isn't just, you're not going out there and just saying, oh, what's the best thing that I can think of? What's the best thing I can come up with that's gonna make my country look good? Authorized in the sense that you are being given very specific words and tasks, authorized to speak on behalf of the the as it says government or sovereign and in this case for us it's it is we are carrying the authorization of god himself uh, i love the fact that 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 jesus makes a a very public display of first uh, authorizing the giving authority to the disciples in luke chapter 9 uh, there's a very clear point where he says i'm giving you authority and uh and later uh in chapter 10 where he actually gives again authority to the 72 and commissions them to go out and uh both of those stories are for me are, are highlights uh in in the ministry uh, or in this idea that hey look folks the God that we serve is a God who pursues. And last week we, we began to get a, a glimpse of that. And I just, again, I, I get so charged when I, I think about God coming in the garden and seeking out uh, Adam and Eve. And the fact that in my own life, I can look back and say, this is how God has also has pursued me. And, uh, and uh, but, but there's this point where there is, there is a, there's a bringing in. Jesus begins the bringing in of the process when he calls them to follow, the disciples to follow. But it isn't just a issue of like, hey, just be my hangout, be my entourage. It is at this halfway through his ministry where he's like, he, there's a pointed effort. There is a specific point where God's or Jesus says, hey, you're doing this with me. And I'm giving you the authority to do it. hear that representation paul says we are ambassadors 
we are the face and hand of, 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 of Jesus on the world today. In Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, it says, Although I am less than the least of, of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past has been kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was now that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's something going back to that issue I shared earlier about posture. There's, there's a sitting back and hoping that the church, you know, maybe because it has a, a nice name or it has a nice building or it has nice programs that people are going to come. But in this case, the being made known is, a, is an active process. And Paul is, if you, if you take this in context, the thing that Paul most is specifically interested in is the unity of the church between Jew and Gentile, between rich and poor, between slave and free, between male and female. You know, he starts that whole thing by, by saying there is no, in Christ, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave, no free. It's like you are all one people. And this unity, this unity was to be a visible thing. It was to be made somehow you are a representation. In Christ, hear this, all the world's being reconciled. In Christ, everybody's being brought together. In the beginning of Ephesians, Paul says that the very purpose of the church through Christ was to bring unity to all things. It even says the mystery of God's will in Ephesians 1 is the mystery of God's will is being was made known now through Christ. Unity. And and this unity was that was was that visible representation. Hey, when you are unified, guess what? God's presence is in you. When you are unified, you are displaying the very character and nature of God. You are showing that you are a representative. I grew up Fee, and I don't know if any of you know, my dad's got a, like a name, and uh, and uh, I remember like I re I remember that that name carried some weight in some places and didn't carry weight in others. But for me, it was kind of this intriguing thing. Like, what does it mean to be a Fee? And um, I would say by the time I got to college, I was like, I was very aware that that even though I had the name Fee, I wasn't what people thought of when they thought of the name Fee. I remember a couple college professors that knew my dad were like, you know, like, you're not like your dad at all. <laughs> I remember I'm like, okay, uh, okay, well, you know, and I'd heard per people, you know, I had, you know, like I knew that I was a Fee by name. And there were a lot of people that said, oh, you look like your dad, or you have certain mannerisms similar to your dad. But when it came to the character of my father, I was being called out by my professors. And, um, you know, just a little side note, they were more interested in me being more academic because my dad was a serious academic guy. But it got me to thinking about, well, what does it mean to be a fee? 
what does it mean to carry that name? And I remember I, uh, I have a, uh, I have a uh, autobiography from my great grandfather. This crazy stuff, you know, uh, a man that never got past eighth grade and he wrote terrible, but, but he conveyed stories. And what I, when I look back on my grandfather, sorry, my great grandfather, then my grandfather and my own father, there were certain characteristics that I would say, this is what it means to be a fee. And they were courageous. They were, they were um, passionate. They were willing to try new things, go places where nobody else would go. My, my great grandfather was a, one of the pioneering people out to the Pacific Northwest back before you know, any of that land was fully settled. He was, he was a, a train conductor, you know, out into the wilderness of North Dakota and Idaho and places like that. And he, he just carried that passion for, for, for discovery and passion to go to places where nobody else would go. He tells stories of being up in trees uh, surrounded by wolves that, you know, like in the, uh, in the wilderness area. Uh, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, anyway, but I look at that same, those same qualities and they were in my grandfather as well as a, as a, as a church planter in the Pacific Northwest with the Assemblies of God and how he was one of the very first pastors to go into teaching in a, in a school. Uh, academics in the Assemblies of God was not always, um, um, looked upon favorably you know the main point was that you're open to the spirit and the spirit would teach you anything that you needed to know so uh, advanced studies like that everybody would look at like why would you do that everything that you need is in the holy spirit and even though there's truth in that um you know my grandfather was was willing to say hey there's more than that you know there's truths that are beyond that, that if you apply yourself and study, you can find out. And he, and he broke barriers and he, he went into new territory. And my father, very similar to my grandfather, was, was willing to challenge traditional ways of thinking about women in ministry, challenge the way that people looked at the gifts, uh, challenge the way people understood context. And uh, for many people, he was... People loved that about him, but he was also hated because of that. But I remember for myself, I would look at that. I would like go, wow, I've got a long way to go before I can say I'm a fee, <laughs> that I could really be a fee. And, uh, you know, and in many ways, I kind of like uh, even given up on it because I, I knew I wasn't going to be like my grandfather or my father. You know, they're like super academics, you know, like me. I'm just I'm a practitioner. But, but just last week, last Saturday, I was driving in, in the car with a, with a friend and, you know, he just says, you know, Craig, he says, you're carrying the mantle of your father. And he goes, he goes, and, and he goes, and when you, when your father does eventually pass, that mantle is going to fall on you. And I remember like going like, what? <laughs> like, like, what, what are you saying? Like that was my sister and my brother, Mark, you know, Mark, like that's the guy, like this is where the mantle should go. And uh, he goes, he was just like, no, and he goes, you got it. You've got that passion. 
You know, you're willing to go places and try things that people won't do. Everybody else wants to do church as is, you know, and like, and try to tweak it so that it's, it's something that's, oh, look, isn't it better now? You know, you'd say like, like the whole idea, like you're just whitewashing a tomb, like let it go, like try something new. And he goes, that's what you're doing. You're taking the gospel to places and to people that other people are not willing to go. I was like, wow, maybe I am. Maybe I am a fee after all. So um, anyway, but this is the idea, representation. When you take on the name of Christ, when you say, I am a Christian, I am of Christ, do you, are you taking on those, those deep characters? Are you representative? Are the values of the kingdom really in there? Are you letting them soak into you? And are you making that known to the world around you? Representation. It's beautiful stuff, right? Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet through which he walks to do good. Yours are the hand through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. And you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Whew. Representation. That's number one. Those are just some thoughts for you. Maybe we can get back to that later when we when we have our later time group. Uh, you know, we can go back and look at that. But the second part, sent. And folks, here we got to hear this. Sent. Uh, John 20, 19 through 21. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. <sighs> Isn't Jesus amazing? I mean, come on. Get a hold of this picture, folks. Like, like Jesus had died and they're in fear and the door is locked because of that fear. They don't want to go hang on crosses like he did. And Jesus comes and what does he say? Oh, you knuckleheads, what are you doing hiding behind doors? No, he doesn't say that. Again, it's similar to the garden, you know, like, the expectation should be like, what are you doing? Didn't I tell you? <laughs> it's not there. He walks into their midst, in their fear, before Adam and Eve, in their shame, here in their fear. And he walks in and he says, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you didn't hear it before, if you didn't hear it in the authority that God had given him before, if you didn't hear it before in the, in the invitation to come and follow him, 
let's just make sure it's fully clear right now. Folks, I am sending you the mission that I came to do. I was a sent person. The mission that I came to do, I am sending you. Now hear this. Jesus knew and understood what it meant for himself to be sent. Don't take that lightly. He was a man on mission. There are three times in the Bible it says the Son of Man came. Are any of you familiar with those passages? Three times where Jesus himself identifies why he came. The first one, if you look, uh, is in let me look at Mark 10 45, uh, where Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Hear that. Hear that. Because Jesus understood his mission to be one of serving those around him, whether that was his disciples, whether that's those crippled and lame, like, like there's not a lot of discerning in the sense that, I just want to say it this way. We are very calculated people. Like we've grown up in the consumeristic world. So everything is like, hey, you know, is this going to work? You know, like a lot of decisions we make are based on whether or not this is going to help advance us or and or, you know, secure us. So decisions made based on security, decisions made based on whether or not this is uh, good for promotion. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. Like nobody hung out with lepers and he's hanging out with lepers. Nobody was hanging out with tax collectors. He's hanging out with tax collectors. Everything he did was very undiscerning because the rest of the world looked at it and said, there's something wrong with that guy. But he said, I came to serve. The ones who need it, these are the ones who need it. It's not about me. It's about the love of God getting to the people. Hear Jesus. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Also, in Luke 19.10, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And the third one uh, is Luke 7, where it says, Jesus, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Come on, you got to love that. Just got to stop for a second. What? Jesus like came eating and drinking? This is why he came to eat and drink? It's Yes. Why do you think Christians eat all the time? Our only problem is we need to start drinking a little more. You know, like we're always like, what alcohol, what? Jesus was like, yeah, I'm going to a wedding. What? You need wine? This isn't my time, woman. Oh, wait a minute. You need wine? All right, let's do this. <laughs> Come on. Come on. How amazing is this? But anyway, hey, listen, getting back to the point, he knew what it meant to be on mission. He knew what it meant to be sent. He could identify clearly why he was there. He was a man on mission. He knew what it meant to be sent. He embraced that. 
He embraced it. He, hmm, I don't know how to say it. Like we could be on mission. I have people around me. They, they, they understand what their job is, their, what their job description, all that, but they complain all the time, you know? You know, uh, they just like, yeah, okay, but but Jesus embraced it. There was a there wasn't a sour word that he said. He was able to see, even say, like he would see the the very the face of God in those that he served. He embraced the tough times. He embraced the difficult situations. He embraced the humility and brokenness of the world in which he lived. He hung out with prostitutes tax collectors let me tell you something prostitutes still exist and something to consider tax collectors don't but who if you take the religious world because that's where all the religious you know religiosity and shame was coming from tax collectors oh you're doing this to our people people we're gonna we're gonna put shame all over you who are the people that the church shames today Gays, lesbians, trans, foreigners. Folks, somewhere in there, there needs to be an adjustment inside of our mind that, that if Jesus embraced his mission and his mission was was not to the wealthy and not to, I mean, he went to everybody and we know that. But it, it was, I think it was Jesus who does say like, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich to come. I mean, anyway, you know where he spent most of his time. We know, all you have to do is read the gospels. It was with the marginalized. It's with the poor and disadvantaged. Anyway, he embraced it. And, and finally, like I said, he knew what it meant to be sent, but he, and he invites others into it. Do you understand that the very basic principle of discipleship is just simply inviting somebody into what you know to be the thing that God has called you to do? We mostly talk about discipleship, and the first thing we think is like, oh, let's get them into a book and into a class, and let's do a, uh, you know, a 10-week, you know, Christianity 101, you know, type thing. Like, uh, like our mentality around discipleship is, well, we need to get you to think correctly, you know, to, to know these things about God. That's not the way that Jesus did. Jesus invited them into the activity itself, into the very mission itself from day one into serving those who were to be served, into seeking and saving those who were lost. When did he chide? When did he ever chide the disciples? Is when, he, when they were like getting it wrong in terms of the mission. Like, no, let the children come to me. These are the, gonna be the greatest in the kingdom. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, Jesus understood what it meant to be sent. He understood what it meant to be on mission. He embraced that mission and he invites others into it. This is, for me, this is the essence of missional living. This is the essence of missional living. I'm glad that you're going on a mission trip. 
I am. I think everybody needs to go and experience another culture and, and, and get involved into other worlds because it just, we can get so insular that we, that we're, it's just not healthy. The broader that you can, that your mind can be in terms of understanding uh, the needs of the world and how God is working in that world is the better for you. But the essence of missional living is understanding what it means to be sent and embracing that and finding ways to make those connections and invite others with you in the process. When, when, when the Great Commission of Matthew, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, you know, and then... Um, teaching them all the right doctrine and correct things and things. Oh, wait a minute. No. Teaching them to obey my commands, to love, forgive, to, to heal, <laughs> to cast out demons. These are some of the things that Jesus commanded us to do. How many of you think about that every day you wake up? Okay, I got to go out and find somebody and heal them today. And I need to go out and find somebody who's suffering from a oppressive spirits and release them there's a part of us that needs to 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 identify again with what it meant to be sent and invite others into that process um great little quotes i'm going to give you a chance to read these and and again this will be like a, a middle of the way uh meditation time three quotes two questions i'm going to give you like two minutes just to to think on that. I'd like to hear some feedback from you. Can I get a couple people to, again, be brave and volunteer some, some thoughts? I think, it, think there's a fear of what people may think about us. Um, and that, that provokes a feeling as you read it. Um, sometimes we stay away from getting in, deeply involved, even though we know we should. Thank you, Stephen. The first thing that comes to me is that 
we've watered down the Lord's instructions to us. We have somehow dropped off the part that says, um, going to all nations, teach all nations. And we have built churches instead. The church should be like a, you know, an operating engine that pulls in, teaches, and send out. But what we have done, we pull in and we keep. And we, I don't know, we, we make it into something else that Christ didn't intend it to be. That's the first thing that um, came to me. Thank you, Cheryl. I think Another thing more, that came more. to me. Another uh, thing that ahead, came Mommy. to me is um, leaving your comfort zone. We've been trained to, I'm a foreigner, and I thought I came here to do better. And so what I left behind is bad enough. And to go to another place where things are worse than where I know. It is frightening. When you don't know the culture of the people, there's a lot of stigma that's attached to the sending and the going. But it's, 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 it's um, somewhat frightening. Thanks, Rifa. Go ahead, Anne. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, when I read the statement, what comes to mind if we're to be truly like what God sent us? We look something somewhat nomadic. So we're supposed to be going from nation to nation. We're supposed to be going what is nearest. And then as we move, it's supposed to be going out further and further. So it looks nothing like what the church looks like if we're to be obedient. Can I ask Ann, where do you live? Texas. And I, my guess is, where in Texas, by the way? Dallas. Dallas. So uh, I'm going to guess that there's probably 30 or 40 different nations that make their home in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go very far. You could just probably just walk down the block, actually, and you would find somebody from another nation. Mm -hmm. New York City is, is, is actually amazing. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. The nations are here. Yeah. And uh, I have great joy. Last Tuesday, I was out on the street. We are praying for two men who are from uh, Bangladesh, you know, uh, two men who are from, um, uh, from Tibet, Nepal. Another man who was from Uzbekistan. I mean, come on. <laughs> you don't have to go that far to teach the nations. You just got to go find them. And the problem is that often that we just get so caught up in our own little circles. We're so comfortable with people that we are comfortable with that we don't ever stop to think like, how can we do this? One of the things that my wife and I regularly do, like to do, is we like to go into restaurants of, of nations that are not American. And 
the first thing we do when we go into a new one, we, we say, hey, listen, would you, you know, we talk to the host, we say, would you please think of us as guests in your home? Could you please bring us food that you would serve your guests in your home and tell us why you picked those foods? I'm going to tell you something. We just sit down, people, the hosts come over and sit down with us and are like hanging out and like, hey, let me tell you about this. I mean, the doors open. It's pretty amazing. It's a simple thing like that can open a, a door and all you have to do is just, you know, ask a simple question. Um, anyway, it's just the willingness to go. Oh, but anyway, uh, thanks for doing that. This, these, are, these are challenging. I like these quotes. Um, you know, Lord did not tell us to build beautiful churches. <laughs> the call is the world, folks. The call is the world. And it's easy to just get, it's easy to get into that mindset of, of church, which is like that week to week, at, uh, you know, meetings that we go to, whether it's the prayer meetings or the Sunday services, but we just get into that routine and we stop to think about what it means to be a people who are sent. We can't do that. We can't do that. Jesus knew what it meant to be sent, and he invited us in the process of being people who are sent, and invited us in that process to also find others to invite into it. It's to be an ongoing, ongoing process where we're constantly going out and finding those who need to be reconciled with God and with other men. Participate in that. All right, finally, this concept. What's beautiful about 2 Corinthians 5 is that it starts with 2 Corinthians 4. By the time you get to 5, I mean, you can read chapter 5 and you can see that idea of being an ambassador. And I'm going to tell you something. I remember when I was young and I would read that, I would just be like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? You know, like it was just like this is such a heavy. This is like, wow, God, what? why are you doing this to me? Why are you giving me this huge task to? to take care of the world and, and be your ambassador and be your representation. Like, don't you know it's me? It's Craig? You know, like, I, I would just get that. But, but it wasn't until I started reading chapter four that I was like, oh, wait a minute. He knows. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of, of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. My friends, understand and know that, that he put this treasure, he gave this, you know, you know, that Teresa of Avila, when she says Christ has no other body but ours, like, like he, he, he gave his, his mission. Jesus didn't stay. Jesus didn't stay. He left that with us and knowing full well that we were a broken people, that he was putting this treasure, his very mission, his very, 
you understand that God's glory depends on us? Sometimes I'm like, I want to just say, that's a bad idea, God. But this is how he chose. This is his plan A, and there is no plan B. He's not back up there saying like, oh, let me think about this. No, wait a minute. You know, like, remember Noah? What we looked at last week? Like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Like, I made a mistake. There is no plan B. God does not have some other idea and other way that he's going to accomplish this. It is you and I. It is us. And it is only us. And he knows full well that we are broken, that we are jars of clay, merely human vessels in which the glory of God is, is held. The truth is that we don't understand, but, but that God gets greater glory from that. And, and we don't understand that. But, but here's the thing. 2 Corinthians 12 is also in there. Where Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away, to take it away from me, that being the thorn in the flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In some ways, I'm going to just say that the greater efforts that you make at trying to be good, or great, or something prohibits God from being great. Allow yourselves to be broken. When you go to Kenya, when you start to reach out into your own neighbors, as you begin to get this idea of missional activity, that you don't go in and think, oh, I've got all the answers, and that I've got, you know, like, I'm going to, I'm going to save this neighborhood. You just simply go as human beings and knowing that the that the power of God is made greater through your weakness. That God gets the glory when we're just normal humans, vessels of clay that contain that special treasure. And people see in us something that we couldn't make them see by ourselves. Because God does it. Because God's power is perfect, folks. It's not made just a little bit better. Listen to Paul. It is in our weakness. It is in our, in our frailties. In our, in, our, in our flawed condition. That God's power is made perfect. No. No, I don't fully get it. No, it, this is one of those mysteries that doesn't... Like in my mind, my logical mind, I'm just like, I'm always contending with God. There's got to be a better way. But you know what? This is not. This is the best way. This is the perfect way. His power is made perfect in our frailty and in our weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong because God is strong. <sighs> Folks, what's your posture going to be? 
What's your posture going to be as a church, as God's people? What's that posture going to be? Are you going to sit back and be passive? Are you going to sit back and wait for people to come to you? Or are you going to take on the posture of the Father, the God who pursues, and become those who pursue? Taking that active role about bringing God's reconciliation, God's love, God's favor, God's delight to the world around that is so desperately in need of it. Understanding full well that that. It isn't God choosing us because you've done anything great. But that he's chosen you because, because, because he knows that in you, he can be great if you're just you and nothing more. We have to be a people that understand, just as Jesus did, that we are a sent people. We need to stay on that mission. And we need to be in that same posture as that God who pursues. God will make perfect his power in us when we do that. Amen. Amen. Amen.